the gospel according to Matthew, the sixth chapter. Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For it's the Gentiles who strive after all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. So the sorrows of the world sounds pretty ominous and like a whole lot of ground to cover, I know. If I were to ask before you came in tonight to wonder about what we might be invited to tackle under that banner, the sorrows of the world, I suspect you might guess lots of things like war and poverty and sickness and disease and drug culture and gun violence and racism and all the rest, right? The sorrows of the world. Well, the good news is we're not going to go down all of those roads tonight. We don't have time for that. Instead, I'd like to take the sorrows of the world quite literally. So we're invited to grieve for the world, for creation, for all that God has made and how its sorrow, the sorrows of the world, inspire our own sadness and impact our own grief, whether we always realize that or not. And that's enough trouble for today, as Jesus would say. Today's trouble is enough. Today's grief, this very particular grief, is enough for tonight. Because National Geographic has reported that 90% of the ocean's fish populations that were around in 1950 are no longer. 90%. And that a crucial mass of the world's stock of fish may very well run out by 2048. My children will be 44 years old and 41 years old that year. 
According to the World Wildlife Fund, there was a 52% decline in wildlife populations between 1970 and 2010. In those 40 years, more than half of something like 3,000 species of not just fish, but mammals, reptiles, amphibians, and birds have been decimated thanks to global warming, pollution, and disease. You can see on our wall here, the kids and families before worship and dinner tonight put some fruit bats and some catfish and some mussels and some honey creepers and a catfish out of Ohio, actually, all creatures that went extinct in 2023. So when I was reading one of the books that inspired much of what we're up to with this midweek series on grief. I've mentioned it before. It's called The Wild Edge of Sorrow by Francis Weller. I was particularly moved by the way he describes our soul's innate spiritual bodily connection to the world around us. Francis Weller is a therapist and a counselor. He does lots of work with individuals and with groups around grief. Anyway, about our grief for creation and the sorrows of the world, as he calls it, he says, whether or not we consciously recognize it, the daily diminishment of species, habitats, and cultures is noted in our psyche. Much of the grief we carry isn't personal, but shared and communal. And he cites a psychologist named Shellis Glendening, who's gone so far as to call this a thing, to give it a name called Earth Grief. And she says, to open our hearts to the sad history of humanity and the devastated state of the earth is the next step in our reclamation of our bodies, the body of our human community and the body of the earth. Now, Francis Weller doesn't attach any of this to Scripture, doesn't say anything about faith necessarily, but it helped me to think about that creation story a little bit differently. We get so caught up, we Christians, too often in the details of the creation stories, how there are two versions of them in our Scripture, for instance, and that they tell very different stories about how all of it came to pass. Look it up, chapter 1 and chapter 2. And we wonder whether we should understand them literally or as a prehistoric poetry, for example. We can argue about that later. But I think it may be enough to focus and reflect on the truth that our creation stories are trying to tell. That we are all of us, men and women, birds and bugs, fish, flora, fauna, stars, and sand created from the same dust. And that we are therefore bound together by the source of life we understand to be God, the creator of the universe. And that when one or some of what God has created suffers, we are all, each of us, bound to that suffering in a cosmic, spiritual 
holy and practical way. And just when I was wondering if this Francis Weller guy might be a little too new agey, a little too esoteric, a little too spiritual, but not religious, if you know what I mean, I came across a bit from another Francis, the Pope. And he said this, Thanks to our bodies, God has joined us so closely to the world around us that we can feel the desertification of the soil almost as a physical ailment and the extinction of a species as a painful disfigurement. No one ever called that Francis New Agey or spiritual and not religious. Again, this is a grief that we know and that we feel in our being, whether we always give it words or pay it attention or credit it for the impact that it has on us or not. And honestly, the more I thought about this, the more I realized I didn't need Francis Weller or Pope Francis to tell me this. When I was in elementary school, and fishing off the dock at my Uncle Charlie's house in Salina, Ohio, I caught a really nice-sized carp at a family gathering. The thing was huge. I could hardly lift it. I don't think anyone thought to take a picture, though. While I was impressed with myself and learned that no one in their right mind, at least in the great state of Ohio anyway, would eat carp for dinner, which I understood, I was utterly scandalized when my uncle demanded that instead of throwing the fish back into the lake from whence he came, we dig a hole and bury it alive. It was a trash fish, I was told, and did more harm than good, wasn't good for anything and all the rest, which I kind of understood, but again, I felt sorry for that damn fish as it died in the dirt. A few years later, my friend Dave and I were visiting my other grandparents and found an old BB gun that belonged to my mother and her siblings when they were kids. This was way back in the 1900s. We did what many young boys would do, of course. We tested it out. Shooting at trees and cans and bottles and whatever we could find until I saw a perfectly innocent robin sitting in the field across the street from their front porch. I was as surprised as my friend Dave to see the feathers fly when I killed that poor innocent bird with one clean shot. And I didn't even need the scolding I got from my grandfather to feel the much-deserved shame and sadness for what I had done to that poor bird. My point in all this is to say, I think it's true that we experience grief for this hurting world in our bones, in our bodies, in our spirits, in our souls whether we're always aware of that or not. But certainly, hopefully, when it is called to our attention by way of random facts from our pastor on a Wednesday night during worship, or when we hear about the latest 
wildfire in Texas, which was breaking news as soon as I opened my eyes this morning, or when we see something as common as roadkill, or when our imagination invites us to wonder not just about the human homes and the human lives that are lost in places like Gaza and Ukraine, but when we wonder too about the natural habitats that are destroyed, the air and the water that are poisoned, the terror of the birds and the bunnies and the beasts of all kinds who also dodge bullets and run from bombs, who are also left homeless, limbless, lifeless, orphaned, and more. This earth grief is real, it seems to me. And all of creation seems to groan and to grieve right along with us, as Paul suggests. So I chose tonight's gospel reading a bit facetiously. I know what Jesus means, I think. But I also wonder if the birds of the air are more worried these days than they were back in Jesus' time. And I wonder if the lilies of the field really are toiling and spinning in ways that they never had to before. And while I'd love to make this a call to action, reminding us about our command to care for creation, to restore and to replenish what we use up from God's good earth, to compel us all to give up plastic and limit our carbon footprint or reduce, reuse, recycle, and all the rest, I wonder if we might first actually have to simply grieve over it. Today's trouble is enough for today. So I hope that the things we've left on this wall this evening do nothing more and nothing less than bear witness to our part in what makes us grieve and what makes God's creation groan. And to our shared sorrow for the suffering planet we call home, for the creatures and creation that God calls good, and for that which is ours to tend to and care for at God's command. And I pray too that as we engage all of this season's grief, we do this deliberately. Grieve the sorrows of the world, I mean. Because our faith gives us hope that it will all be redeemed according to God's good grace in the end. Amen.